All right. Well, hey, we are heading into part two now of a series we're calling When It's All Said and Done, and it's an end time series. You know, there's certain events that are coming that have been prophesied that we're anticipating. Some of these things are scripturally pretty clear. Some of these things are scripturally not super clear. And so we're trying to look at both of these. You know, some things we can be pretty sure of. Last week, we talked about that Jesus is coming back. And now if there's one end times event that is secure in its scriptural interpretation, it would be that Jesus is coming back. It's not that You know, we just all are eventually going to die and go to heaven. It's that Jesus is coming back here. The second coming of Christ foretold over and over and over again in the scriptures, assumed in the scriptures. It's just part of the narrative. So that's what we started with last week. This week, we are going to continue on and we'll be, you know, talking about some things now that I think are pretty solid scripturally, but people interpret them in a little bit different ways. Today, we're going to be talking about the Great Tribulation and the Rapture. These are two very important concepts in end times discussions. And, uh, you know, there's some tough stuff coming, according to the prophecies in this book, that when it comes time for this age to be over, you know, obviously there's difficult things the whole way through, you know, but there's going to be kind of a culmination of hard things. You know, there's the wrath of God poured out. There's just here on this earth, you know, there's things like that. So there's hardships, destruction, wrath that is coming called the great tribulation. And then there's also the rescue of the faithful by God, which we call the rapture. So that's the rescuing of the faithful followers of Jesus. And then you have the tribulation which is just a bunch of hardships and destruction and the wrath of God. So last time we read a bunch of scripture and we're going to continue along those lines. You know, I'm not exactly an end times prophecy guy. And whenever I have something that I'm, you know, is not an area that I feel like I'm any kind of an expert in, I just like to read a lot of scripture because I believe that the the word of God carries its own anointing. And if I don't have anything good to say, at least we'll read some of this and this will be good. So we're going to definitely read a lot of scripture today. But last time we read different scriptures and we landed in Matthew chapter 24, very important discussion from Jesus about end times things. And we're going to continue through that. We'll be doing the middle part of chapter 24 and then Next time, we'll finish the rest of chapter 24. So that'll be kind of these three installments of when it's all said and done. So last time, when we began in Matthew chapter 24, the conversation began with a prophecy of Jesus about something that was coming that was like tribulation related, like something bad is coming. So we'll go to Matthew 24, reading verses one and two. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. So the disciples must have been saying, wow, isn't this beautiful and amazing and wonderful? The temple is incredible and oh, so awesome. Something along those lines is what it seems to be. They're just showing Jesus like, aren't these things awesome? And then verse two, Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. 
everyone will be thrown down. So Jesus is saying, yeah, you think these buildings in this temple is impressive. It's all going to be destroyed. <laughs> like, I don't know if they were, you know, shocked by that or if they were intrigued by that or what their response was. I mean, we obviously we see some things we read last time about how, you know, they asked Jesus questions and things like that. But what did that feel like to them? What was in their heart? But we see here right away when Jesus is starting this dialogue that he says, yeah, you know what? The temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone is going to remain on another. There's going to be a, a destruction of the temple of God. And so we read through from Matthew 24, 1 through 14. Today, we're going to look at verses 15 through 35 and a few other verses and other scripture references as well. But let's read through that. And then we'll talk about great tribulation and rapture. So Matthew 24, 15 through 35. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we have a whole bunch of stuff that's happened here in these verses. And, you know, let's look back at what we started with here. There is indication of a tribulation. There's crazy things that are going to happen. There's going to be some kind of persecution here. Verse 15, when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand like when this abomination is in the holy place. And he was talking about the destruction of the temple earlier in the chapter. 
So there's going to be an abomination at the temple. And then he says, that's when it's going to go bad. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. That's why we call it the Great Tribulation, verse 21 in the King James, instead of great distress, the words in the King James Bible, great tribulation. So clearly this is referring to the Great Tribulation because, you know, people that were reading the King James used that terminology, and that terminology has continued. So the Great Tribulation from Matthew 24, 21, something that hasn't happened before and will never be equaled again, this great tribulation. So wild stuff is going to happen. It's going to be rough. It's going to be bad, great tribulation. You don't even go back and get your jacket. Just take off, you know, just run. When you see the abomination of desolation in the holy place, run, get out of there, man. And, it, you know, and he's talking about the destruction of the temple. And so this is just bad stuff. And when you read the book of Revelation, you'll get some crazy pictures of the hardships and destruction and the wrath of God that will be poured out on the earth as well. So, you know, the the rewards and the wrath of God, it's not just heaven and hell. There's prophecies about future coming wrath on this earth. So let's go to Revel. You having a good time? Ah, we're going to go to Revelation. We're going to read a little bit more here. Uh, Revelation chapter 16, we're going to look at uh, some of the important moments here that are prophesied about the, the wrath of God. So we're going to read just little snippets about the bowls, the seven bowls of the wrath of God that are to be poured out in the future when the end all happens. And so again, we're looking at great tribulation. We're looking at the wrath of God, just bad things coming to this earth. So we'll read a few different selections. So here we go. Revelation 16, 1 through 4, then 8, 10, 12, 17 through 21, just to uh, get a little bit of a picture of what's going on here. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out your seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and everything living in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. So for the great war. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. 
So tremendous was the quake, the great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones weighing about a hundred pounds fell on people, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Oh, man. Yes, Jesus loves me. I Like, you read some of these things and you're thinking, wow, 100-pound hailstones, great tribulation, never to be equaled and worse than ever before. Like, wow, this is some pretty scary stuff. What do we know for sure? Well, it looks like the judgment of God is coming on those who deserve wrath. That's what we know for sure, that God is going to judge those who do violence. He's going to judge those who do wrong. He's going to judge those who hurt people. The judgment of God will come. So again, it's not just about heaven and hell. There's the the wrath of God poured out on this earth at the end times when when Jesus is going to come back. This is the great tribulation. So that's a important point. There is tribulation coming that's prophesied in the scriptures. And then it's not just the wrath of God, but also the rescue of the faithful from evil and destruction and all that that we call the rapture. So the rapture of the saints, the rapture of the faithful, the uh, rescuing of the faithful from all of uh, what's going on, the evil of the world. So let's read verses 30 and 31 by way of recap here in chapter 24 of Matthew. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So this is Obviously, the second coming of Christ, he ascended on the clouds. He's going to return on the clouds, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So the faithful, what's called here the elect, the ones God has chosen, will be uh, gathered from the whole world at this trumpet call of God here, the day that Jesus returns is how it looks here in these verses. And then if we jump down to verses 40 and 41 in chapter 24, we see this. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So here we have that same thing again. We have like the rapture. This one person is going to be taken. The other person is going to be left. They're going to be doing their things and one will be taken. The other will be left. So the picture we have of the rapture is the God collecting his people from the earth, collecting them and bringing them to be with him. So it's not a lot of information there. You know, if you watch the Left Behind movies or whatever, things like that, you're going to have a certain picture in your head. But, you know, those are only a few verses, but there are other places in the scriptures that talk about the rapture. And so I want to look at those here, uh, or at least... 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, try to get a little bit deeper understanding of what's going on. So we'll start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and um, let's get a picture here from verses 13 through 18. Here, the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica, 
is really trying to encourage them about people who have passed away, but he ties in the uh, the rapture at the same time. So let's take a little peek at this. Verses 13 through 18 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So the picture we get here from 1 Thessalonians is that there are people who sleep in death who passed away, but they were believers in Jesus. and they're going to go first before the uh, the people who are still alive on the earth when Jesus returns. Now, it doesn't exactly say when this happened. There's different ways to interpret this. My understanding of it is that, you know, when you when you die, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, you know, these sorts of ideas. So that I believe that maybe it's a individual situation for those who have who sleep in death, who have died, that the Lord will come down and get those individuals because that's first. And then after that, when Jesus returns, then the rest of us are going to be raptured up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. You know, it's, that's that picture. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So this gives a a different, you know, a little bit more information about that rapture of like being caught up into the clouds to meet Jesus as he's coming in on the clouds. Like that's quite the thing. Some people have interpreted this section of scripture to to mean that you're kind of in an unconscious asleep in Christ state until the second coming. I don't really think that's actually it. I think that you do go be with the Lord in a in a conscious state upon death. And I don't want to get nitpicky, but uh, for the Lord himself, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That word and, this translated and from the Greek is a very difficult word to translate. In the King James, it's translated into about 15 different words. It can be uh, and, also, but, you know, it can be all kinds of different things. So let's just put the word but in there just to see, you know, loud archangel with the trumpet call of God, but the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left. So, I mean, I think there's room in there to understand that, you know, when someone dies, they go be with Jesus. When Jesus returns, then those who are alive are caught up into the air with Christ. So, you know, that's again, one of those things where we sort of have to uh, speculate a little bit because it's not super clear. It kind of sounds like when you read it the first time, 
like the dead in Christ will be raised on the day Jesus returns. But again, I don't really think that's what that means. I've been wrong before. We'll all find out, but (laughs) there you go. So the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive will meet the Lord in the air. So this sounds very much like the classic rapture concept that, uh, you know, if you've heard about these things, you know, being the one is taken and the other is left, you know, caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds. So amazing stuff, the rapture of the saints, the, the rescuing of the faithful from the earth. Then, so we got some good information, First, First Thessalonians 4, about the, uh, the rapture. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll get some more information. And this is from, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians and uh, 1 Corinthians. Of course, when we were in Matthew 24, that was Jesus explaining those things. So here the Apostle Paul is uh, giving uh, from revelation from God that he had some more information about these events. And so some interesting stuff here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read from verses 51 to 58, but there's more stuff in chapter 15. So if you want to dig in a little deeper on your own, I encourage reading all of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to jump in verse 51, long chapter. You read through it and uh, it'll, we'll, we'll talk about a couple things here. Verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we have more talk here about the the rapture of the saints. Listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, meaning not everyone is going to die and go to heaven who's a believer. Not everyone has to go through the death process. For those who are here when Jesus returns, they will be changed. So we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. So we've been talking about trumpets. We go back to Matthew 24, 31, and we see that same phraseology that's used there, 24, 31, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So this trumpet call is being referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So the dead who obviously perished, they were perishable, they will be raised and imperishable, no longer to die again, free from the second death, if you go into 
book of Revelation terminology, free from the second death, clothed in immortality, the mortal clothed in immortality, the perishable clothed in uh, being coming imperishable. So that is powerful, powerful stuff. So yeah, and there's a timing thing there. It, it does kind of sound like in this passage as well that it could be interpreted as, you know, the dead in Christ will be raised on the day of the last trumpet. I can see how somebody could think that from these verses, from other verses and different things. I, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but that's a debatable thing. You know, it's one of those things we're sort of guessing at. But I think that you die, go to heaven. Uh, that's if you're a believer. So we'll try to solve that problem at the end here. But you know, it's just so important to understand that those who remain are changed. Imagine what it would be like to to die, to kind of wake up in the presence of God with your spiritual body, with your glorified body, no longer subject to the curse, no longer subject to aging and pain and sickness and death, but that's going to be awesome. You know, like that glorified body is really going to be something. But some people aren't going to go from the frail body that decays into death and then will find themselves in the presence of God. But some people will be alive. In fact, a lot of people uh, will be alive and then they'll be changed while they're alive and brought into that glorified state, the glorified body be brought into this uh, going from mortal to immortal, from perishable to imperishable. You'll get to feel and experience that if you're alive at the return of Christ. And I just think that would be amazing. You know, um, in the the 16 doctrines of the assemblies of God, you know, that we have here as an assembly of God church, one of, uh, one of the doctrines is the blessed hope, and that is the return of Christ and that we get to be rescued by God from all this mess and changed, transformed into, you know, our eternal state. What an incredible moment that would be to have Jesus return and to just change into that in the moment and to experience it like, wow, that would be awesome. So the trumpet sounds, those who remain are changed. You know, the dead in Christ are raised, imperishable. Those who are alive are changed, changed from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortal. And I just think that would be awesome. Now, next week, we are going to discuss what the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. So we started today by recapping Matthew 24, 1 and 2, verse 2. Jesus says, you know, he's talking about the temple. Do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. He's talking about tribulation, about destruction. And then in verse three, which seems to be the question everybody wants to ask, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When is it going to happen? How can we tell? That's the question the disciples had. So many people have that question. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Little spoiler alert. I'm not going to be picking any dates or anything. It's very clear we don't know the times or the dates. But there are things we can know. And 
we can talk about the order of things as well, because, you know, that's a good question, too. So when is this going to happen? What are the order of things? That's what we'll talk about next week. But, uh, you know, a couple more things I should say about that. Everybody wants to know that. Some of the things that we've read here in chapter 24 of Matthew seem to have already happened. Like, again, Jesus said, you know, every stone will be thrown down in AD 70. So Jesus would have said this, I don't know, AD 33, somewhere in there. Now, 37-ish years later, uh, there's a, uh, there'd been a revolt of the Jewish people. The zealots revolted against the Romans, started a, an actual physical war, and then the Romans pushed them out and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. That happened about 37 years after this discussion recorded in Matthew chapter 24. Rome came in, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. That seems to have happened. And then verse 34, we jump over to there. It says, truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. There's different ways to interpret that, but certainly some of the things that Jesus is talking about happened when people who heard him say it were still alive, like the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Some clearly hasn't happened, you know, like the trumpet call and Jesus coming in on the clouds that's, you know, going to be like a lightning strike. You know, you're not going to miss it. It's going to be visible everywhere. And then the trumpet call and the gathering of all the elect, well, that hasn't happened. So there's things that hasn't happened. So we'll talk about next week, the questions surrounding when, what order, that sort of a deal. But today we're going to land the plane by going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 48. And I want to break that section into kind of four parts so that we can get a picture of what's going on there. So we're going to look at four things, the prophecy, the promise, the process, and the plan. So what's coming? What's the prophecy? What's the promise? What are the benefits that we get? What what is the good thing from God? What's the process? How does this all work? How do you get in on God's plan? And then the plan of what do we do now? What What do we do today? We see this here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. So first, the prophecy, 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So that is the prophecy. The day will come, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised immortal, imperishable, and those who are alive will be changed. That's the prophecy. And then the promise, of course, is along the same lines. We'll read verses 53 through 55 for that. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? This is the promise that this mortal, this perishable person can believe God and receive the promise of being clothed in immortality and being imperishable. I gotta tell you, that's a great promise. You know what I mean? Like, that's an amazing promise. So we have the prophecy of the return of Christ, the last trumpet. We have the promise of of everlasting life. 
What's the process? Verse 56 and 57, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? There's a lot of theology in those two verses, but basically it's this. The wages of sin is death. So the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. So, you know, apart from law, there's no sin. You can't break a rule without there being rules. And so there is the wages of sin is death. Sin is shown through the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are set free from the consequences of sin in the sense of uh, the wages of sin is death through Christ who frees us from the law and we walk in the spirit. So we are set free from that. We get the victory through Christ. So the process is giving your life to Christ, putting your faith in Christ, receiving forgiveness from God, not trying to follow all the rules to prove how good you are, but connecting with God in repentance, receiving forgiveness, and then learning the ways of God and walking with him, walking in the way of the spirit. That's the process to get in on the promise that is brought from the prophecy. So put your faith in Jesus, repent, ask for forgiveness, pledge your life to follow Christ, learn his ways, and then you're you're in, you know, you're in. That's the process to get in. And then the plan, what do we do now? So let's say you've put your faith in Christ and you know that on that day you're in a good spot. What do you do today? Therefore, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So if you know the prophecy and you believe the promise, you've put the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, that process into place in your life, and now you, you need to know what to do today. Today, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's, that's what we want to grab hold of. I hope I've made the prophecy and the promise clear. If you need to get in on the process of having your sins forgiven through Christ so that you can receive the blessings of this promise, then today is your day to put your faith in Jesus. And if you've been uh, someone who's put your faith in Jesus before, now you need to work the plan. Stand firm. Give yourself wholly to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So let's pray along those lines. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't spring these things on us. Obviously, there's things that we don't understand, but you're not springing this whole thing on us. We know the day is coming. We know that the prophecies are there and that that there is a promise that, that the mortal can be clothed in immortality. The perishable can be clothed in the imperishable. What an incredible promise that is. And Lord, we know we can get in on that promise because whosoever believes in you, Lord Jesus, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so for those who need to make that commitment to trust in, to believe in, to follow you, Lord Jesus, I pray right now, if that's you, that you would put your faith in the Lord, that you would come to God, that you would pray, ask for forgiveness of sins, turn your life to Christ, learn the ways of God and walk in them. You know, 
pray along those lines. You don't have to pray exactly right. doesn't matter, but commit your life to Christ, receiving the forgiveness God has so that you can be in line to receive the future promise and that you can then, like all other followers of Jesus, live out the plan of standing firm, letting nothing move us, but continuing in faith in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would not be deceived and we would stand on the wrong things, but Lord, let us stand on your love, on your joy, on your peace, patience, concern for others, grace. Lord, help us to stand on who you are and what you stand for, not getting deceived and pulled off into the wrong things. But Lord, let us labor for you, fully giving ourselves to the work because we know that our labor for you is not in vain. So Lord, help us to work the plan. Father, pray that you would encourage us, that you'd help us to take our faith seriously, to see that that what you have in the future is coming. And Lord, let us be ready. So Father, encourage us with these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.